Well, hello, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast, right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, wherever you get your podcasts. We're hosted online by our friends at justthenews.com. Make sure hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating. Follow us wherever you get uh, your social media. Uh, first and foremost, Gary, uh, the fat lady, I think, has sung. I'm not sure. Uh, Governor, is that, a, is that a disgusting reference to Nikki Haley? She is not fat. I. Uh, the next line, and if you're new to the show, this is typically happens. I get four or five, maybe six lines in during a show. Oh my goodness! You just what is the name of that psychological disorder in which a person has a completely backwards perception of reality? I think it's called liberal. Liberalism. I'm talking now. No, liberalism. I'll never get a chance to talk later. Um, no, I was going to say, in terms of the fat lady having sung, whether or not Governor Haley has has heard the song, gotten oh. the song. That's oh. where I was going to go before I was so uh, humorously and quite relevantly uh, interrupted by the great Gary Bauer. Huge win for President Trump Tuesday in New Hampshire. He is the first. Uh, candidate in a contested primary. We're not talking about incumbent presidents uh, that, that run unopposed in New Hampshire. First one to have won both Iowa and New Hampshire since dun 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 dun. A Bauer Bauer is stumped. Nineteen seventy two or seventy six. Oh man, um, man. So, all right, I'll have to come up with another one. It was Gerald Ford. Gerald well, that Ford. just makes the whole thing completely worthless. <laughs> that was so that was. This would be the only time that Donald Trump would gladly be compared to Gerald Ford. That's why Trump brings this up, but he only mentions the year, not the candidate. Oh, I didn't even hear that. I, I didn't even hear that. Anyway. Uh, Big victory, huge victory. Donald Trump obviously going to be the Republican nominee. Why is she still? I I mean, I think I know why she's still in it. Because, pardon me, she believes and her funders believe that there has to be someone standing in the event of an untoward circumstance, God forbid, uh, a health issue or the guy goes to jail if that happens, if that happens, she ain't going to be the one. Yeah, well, I, yes, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I would never I, vote for her. I would never vote for her. Yeah, well, that's interesting, Tom, because yesterday I polled the people that give my end of day. Uh, and I said, you know, if Haley gets the nomination, w- would you vote for her, vote for Biden or not vote? If Trump gets the nomination, will you vote for him? Uh, vote for Biden or not vote. Obviously, nobody was voting for Biden, but I, you know, I, right. I thought I would ask anyway. But it was surprising to me how many people that were for Trump said that if Nikki Haley got the nomination, they would not vote. Oh well, I, I obviously, if she got right, the nomination, I, I, I would be very upset. Of course, I would vote for her over Joe Biden, but I would never vote for her in a primary. I would never support. She is. Uh, you said the other day, the more you hear from her, the less impressed you are. 
I'd go farther than that and say that the more I hear from her, the more convinced I am that she's just a nothing. She stands for nothing. By the way, she's a woman. I, I don't know whether you're aware of that or not, but because she, you know. Of color. Yeah. Well, she only brings it up seven or eight times um, in any of these scripted events that she has where she doesn't take any questions and doesn't engage in any audience intercourse. But she's a woman, apparently. Uh, at least she identifies as a woman, as though that's a reason to vote for or against her. She's running. I, I, I mean, this is she's using all of the identity politics nomenclature that we hate and despise and think is greatly damaging to the country. There are no issues, substantive issues upon which she is willing to engage Donald Trump or anybody else. She never mentions uh, the number one issue cited by Republican voters as the most important uh, and dire issue facing the country, and that's this this surge, this wave, this deluge of of illegal immigration, and that's obviously because all of her money is coming from sources that advocate and want open borders. The Koch brothers, um, this libertarian billionaire whose name I I can't recall, who said by the way he's going to vote for Biden anyway. I I. I DeSantis, and and you and I might disagree, I I don't think we do. I will say this, I love President Trump, I worked for him, I I would love to work for him again. Uh, He was a great president. I thought his, uh, and I'll use the term childish, attempts to mock and humiliate uh, DeSantis were not productive and not helpful. Uh, DeSantis is one of us. He's one of our guys. He's brilliant. He's great. He's terrific. He didn't take a lot of the bait. Um, But DeSantis tried to engage uh, with his constituencies during the campaign based on issues with policy proposals. Some you might like, some you might not like. I think you and I would probably be in agreement that we liked almost everything that DeSantis said. Is there a way for President Trump to bury the hatchet and find some way, the way George W. Bush did with Dick Cheney, to get around the constitutional issue of of two candidates from the same state, which violates, I think, the Ninth Amendment. Maybe it's the Twelfth Amendment. I can't remember. Um, you You can have two candidates from the same state, but constitutionally, the electoral voters of that state are not allowed to vote for both of them on Election Day. On a day after election, there's nothing prohibiting you from having two candidates from the same state. But if the ticket wins, the electors from that state, if they vote for the presidential candidate that won, cannot vote for the vice presidential candidate that won. Is that is that all it is? I just thought there was then what happened in tw- in 2000 when, uh, you know, Cheney uh, pulled some. uh uh, pulled some shenanigan and switched his voter registration from Texas back to Wyoming. Well, they were worried. I, I, I'm assuming they were worried that in a close election, you could end up with a Republican president and a Democrat vice president, right? Because uh, the, if the if the electors from Texas can't vote for Cheney, that could be the difference in and um, in, in who won the vice presidency. But um 
Uh, anyway, I, I was going to ask whether I've been wait, wrong before, but I was wrong about being wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I, I might really be wrong. No, but do time. you think there's uh, and I'm this is strictly a personal uh, position of mine, hope of mine. I'd love to see DeSantis on the ticket. Well, uh, I, I don't, Tom. I mean, first of all, you, you keep saying, you know, that you and I may disagree about DeSantis. I thought that DeSantis was great. I, I mean, I've been a big supporter of everything he did in Florida. Um, I think he's, you know, really shown the way about how a Republican governor ought to deal with issues related on these values issues, which so many Republican governors run away from. Uh, he he would not run away. He's, he's a model in that sense. Um, as to your specific question, I think I think uh, Trump is already going to win Florida and, and Trump and DeSantis are so much alike. I don't know what new that DeSantis brings to the ticket or what additional he brings to the ticket other than the reassurance that if something happened to Trump while in office, that there wouldn't be any interruption in the policies. But I, I'm guessing that it's likely to be a conservative woman. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just it's just my guess. Um, and I don't even know if Trump thinks like that or or whatever. But uh, my my only thought here um, wasn't electoral advantage. It was the opportunity to develop um, a system whereby you could have a vice president that that functions as a prime minister or a chief operating officer, the guy to the, what we did not have last time. And that was somebody uh, with the gravitas, the knowledge, the ability and the experience to really dive into deep state matters, to really begin a fundamental and thoroughgoing uh, cleaning out of the bureaucracy, reorganization. Um, I, that's just my. Yeah. Um, you which know, he, which he, he could do. He could do that. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think there are others that could do it. What, what I mean, Vivek might be able to do it. Uh, but but, you know, uh, DeSantis was having problems with some of the same voting groups that Trump has problems That's with, right. namely women. Um, you, you know, he he uh, th there's these imponderables in politics, you, you know, and unfortunately, uh, a, a lot of the reasons people make the decisions they do um, in, in these important elections has nothing to do with what policy wonks like us think about, you know, yeah. if, if I hear one more person saying, look, I love the Donald Trump's policies, but I, I'm just tired of the drama. Are you serious? I mean, and, and look, Nikki Haley, this is one of Nikki Haley's big themes, Tom. And, and when I hear a, a candidate saying vote for me because I won't give you the drama that Trump gave you, the drama is what we get if we resist the radical secular globalists. If we if we nominate actual constitutionalists to the Supreme Court, there's going to be drama. Mm 
If we try to get the FBI and CIA to focus on their law enforcement responsibilities instead of being allowing themselves to be weaponized against political opponents of America's political establishment, uh, there's going to be drama. If somebody, the next president is going to stand up and say uh, men can't get pregnant, uh, safe spaces for women are important, and uh, we're going to get this crap out of our schools uh, there's going to be incredible drama. The only way you can escape the drama at this point in America is if we surrender. So when I hear Nikki Haley saying, Let, you know, vote for me, there won't be any more drama. That means she caves. another surrender monkey Democrat, uh, Republican. That means she caves. That's absolutely right. Because the drama is a byproduct of progress. It's a byproduct of our uh, determination to resist, to stand atop the moving train, as Bill Buckley famously said, the moving train of history, shouting no, no more, no further. Um, let's slow the train down. I, there's so many issues buzzing around now. We've got, uh, I guess, two caucuses, one in the Virgin Islands and one in Nevada that take place in the next, what, week to 10 days. How long is she going to the obvious? I'm afraid afraid that she intends that she's not playing for 28, that she has made a a bargain with the devil metaphorically um, because the rhetoric she's using, the rhetoric that Sununu used even on election day, suggesting that Donald Trump is the guy that's got a mental defect and is demented. And shouldn't be anywhere near the Oval Office again. These are the talking points of Nancy Pelosi and the Democrat Party. Right. And they are advancing those talking points. So at this point, I wish it was just raw ambition. I think she has cast her lot with the the uh, moneyed interests, the same people that we learned just in the last 24 hours uh, attempted to bribe Carrie Lake to not run for the Senate seat in Arizona. Uh, Look, she's obviously not very bright. We see that. She's empty and she's shallow. But she's so opportunistic. Even she, even a dimwit, a bird brain, if you'll allow me to use that famous term, even a bird brain like her has got to be smart enough to realize there is no political future for her on this track. None. Well, actually, I don't think there is anyway um, because she's not a compelling figures. There's no gravitas there. She's not very smart. Um, she's totally scripted and, uh, uh, you know, developed by handlers. But I think she's delusional enough to think that she could be a standard bearer in the future. So, uh, I mean, I read this no label stuff and third part, but that would be the end of her, even though you and I and our astute listeners already know she's finished. I don't think she thinks she's finished, which is why I can't imagine she's going to continue in this. But I, I, mean, I not only am I wrong from time to time, I'm usually wrong. No, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, but I wouldn't argue with you when you say it. Uh, <laughs> so, no, I we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, you, you know, Tom. Uh, I, I keep running into really, you know, friends of mine, really good people and go, 
Jerry, I know you're all in on, uh, you know, this whole populist Republicanism and MAGA and, and all that, you know, and, and I'm really surprised, I, you know, because I thought you loved Ronald Reagan like I did. I, I, you know, these people will say, I just want to go back to Reagan Republicanism. Well, Tom, as you know, because you are astute, Reagan Republicanism was populist Republicanism. The establishment hated him. Hated him. The Republican National Committee hated him. The donor class hated him. At one point, he threatened to run on a third party ticket. And man, they came down on him like a ton of bricks. But remember what they did later? When he got the nomination, they bankrolled a third party ticket. This congressman from uh, Illinois. Uh, in the, in the Orville, they, Orville Redenbacher, the popcorn guy. What was his name? He looked just I like the popcorn guy. The you remember but, the popcorn guy? The uh, Orville Redenbacher? So. No, it was actually a member of Congress. No, 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 I know. I'm just saying he looked like Orville Redenbacher. Oh, that was the joke. Like yeah. okay. John Anderson. John Anderson. There you go. Uh, and, and, and you would run into these people, usually at, at a country club or at a big party. Uh, so you voting for Reagan? No, I'm an Anderson Republican, Gary. I don't want to go down the road of Ron. He'll get us in war. That was a big theme. Ronald Reagan was always talking about Main Street, Main Street, not Wall Street. Ronald Reagan pushed through, and I helped work on it, a substantial increase in the tax exemption you got for a dependent child. And the Wall Street Journal editorial board excoriated him and me for violating Republican orthodoxy. We should not be, you know, social engineering by claiming that uh, it would be good if people had more children and we want to make it easier for them to raise more children. We need to invest. So, you know, they, they could see how investing in businesses was good for America, but they had a real hard time understanding that unless parents could invest in their children and raise them with the right values, democratic capitalism will fail. So he was at odds with him on that when the entire foreign policy establishment of the United States, including all the Republican foreign policy establishment, came out in favor of giving away the Panama Canal. Ronald Reagan without he didn't give it two thoughts. He, he saw that and he had the instinctive reaction of Main Street America. We built it. We paid for it. It's ours. And, and we bought it. In Washington just we bought it. Whoa, what an embarrassment. <laughs> it it boosted him into the stratosphere among the American people. Guess who manages has the I think it's a 99 year management contract. There are there are restrictions and covenants which could which could avoid it. But guess who manages um, the Panama Canal now? Is it is it a Chinese? It interest? is indeed. Yeah, it is. I mean, if I had to guess, right, I can pretty well guess that you weren't referring to, um, you know, Canada. Yeah, or <laughs> Bill and Joe's tow company or something. <laughs> or the um, new or the new Argentine um, uh, uh, president. That's right. I mean, there are. Um, the Chinese, there's just so much money sloshing around uh, that the Chinese are willing to throw at all these projects, which does raise another issue. Mark Levin uh, talked about it last night, and he and I 
subsequently uh, talked after the show, uh, Reagan, uh, uh, Trump's comments on Taiwan um, on uh, Monday that have been interpreted as being very, quote unquote, weak. Now, what he basically said when asked about Taiwan, I think it was on Maria Bartiromo on Monday, um, uh, he wouldn't directly answer the question about defending Taiwan. And then he cheap-shotted Taiwan, I thought, somewhat unfairly, on their uh, absolutely extraordinary um, chip manufacturing capability monopoly that we've largely helped fund. I think there's something else going on here. I think this could have been a... And I'm not saying that, that Trump thinks like... Uh, Henry Kissinger or, uh, you know, Otto von Bismarck or Clausewitz, any of these great geostrategists. But this guy ain't dumb. Say what you will about that. He ain't dumb. There's no way he will stand by and permit or in any way enable a Chinese uh, invasion and conquest of Taiwan. What he might have been doing was sending President Xi a message. First of all, the Chinese are terrified of Trump. I was in uh, Taiwan this summer. I met with a bunch of folks. Uh, We talked about this. Donald Trump is not known as a huge fan of Taiwan or supporter of Taiwan. Guess what? They don't care. Because standing up to China, whatever Donald Trump thinks about Taiwan, and I don't know, standing up to China protects Taiwan. End of issue. And if they're distracted, worrying about uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, trade policies and the impact that might have on Chinese economic growth or a massive expansion of a U.S. naval presence in the Western Pacific, a a strengthening of our, our great alliances in the region, Taiwan becomes a pimple on a gnat's behind to use um, a a, a delicate phrase and it uh, comment <clears throat> pardon me comments like this might give president xi and his allies in beijing an off-ramp right an off-ramp to back off their increasing hostility hey guys look of course we want to <coughs> pardon me reunify with taiwan but we got this donald trump to worry about no i i think you're um Analysis is exactly right, Tom. Um, look, there's a, I, I don't know if anybody's polled this directly, but I just talking to people, there is a growing fear uh, that we're headed and perhaps we're already in uh, the Third World War. Um, and we're we're not in a good position. Exactly. Right. I mean, our Navy is already stretched thin and that's before hostilities break out in the Taiwan Strait, which will be perhaps it's the, best the most point. difficult military thing we will have ever had to encounter. How come you always come up with better points than I do when I've thought about issues before we come on and you don't even know what I'm going to talk about? Because I've learned over the years that thinking about things ahead of time just confuses people. <laughs> You need to just emote. The best stuff comes out spontaneously. No, I never even thought of that. This is a brilliant play for time. The Chinese Navy is bigger than ours now. They have more capital ships than we do. The expansion of their Navy in the last 40 years 
is the greatest expansion of any blue water Navy in the history of the world. They've been planning for 25. There's nothing we could do today to stop it. And, you know, Trump's equivocation or Trump's backpedaling, it's not backpedaling, Trump's uh, ambiguity, um, which might give President Xi an opportunity to climb down from some of the increasingly hostile rhetoric, buys us time. And Trump's proposing a dramatic increase in our Navy. But these ships aren't built in a day. No. And, uh, you know, we're living at a time, Tom, where it's it's questionable about whether these ships can be built in a decade. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, we, yeah. we can't put a, a good airplane in the air right now, apparently made, made by Boeing. Uh, you know, we, we're down to, I, I think, five places in America, five shipyards in America that are even capable of building these ships. Communist China has got like 100 shipyards turning out ships nonstop. So, uh, but I, so the additional point I wanted to make here, I do think the president, uh, I, I, look, I have no doubt who Beijing wants to win this election. Of course. (laughs) And it's not Donald Trump. That's number one. Number two, I think Trump realizes that there is a, um, a, a big fear out there simmering underneath the surface that we're, we're going to be in a major war and I think he's playing for a peace vote. Um, and I don't I don't fault him on that. The, um, the only I mean, the, this is Ronald Reagan. The best way to prevent a war is to prepare for a war. And if this buys us time, remember what happened in 2017, 2018, when First of all, let me step back for a moment. After Trump won, went to the White House to consult with President Obama, uh, Trump asked, and by the way, Trump is the greatest question asker I've ever met in a senior setting. Completely unaffected. There's no guile. There's no artifice. Whatever is on the man's mind, he will ask. He, he's, he's the most secure human being in that sense. No fear of sounding stupid or looking stupid, asking any question he wants. He asked Obama what the greatest risk to the country was, and Obama immediately answered North Korea, because North Korea was ratcheting and ratcheting, and we were ratcheting and ratcheting. Uh, Trump came in, played a brilliant game, thumped you know, thumped the table and basically trumped, no pun intended, uh, the inbred in North Korea, whose name I, I fortunately have forgotten. It's not worth yeah, the, the yeah. Kim Jong-un. Uh, yeah. It's not worth the brain cell it would take to remember that we're going to obliterate you. We will turn you um, into liquefied glass. The world went crazy. Remember, you spoke at the U.N. rocket man. You're going to get destroyed. Well, guess what? After that. Trump began a process of reconciliation to ratchet down tensions. There were two summit meetings. Again, outrageous. He's meeting with this monstrous. Well, tensions happen. And now, of course, guess what's, guess what's happened in the past three years? They're doing it all over again. So I think it could have been, um, without even perhaps intending to be, a stroke of genius on Trump's part because that's the way the man operates. He's a negotiator. He's a yeah, tra- you know- yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Tom. And look, Nikki Haley's attacking him on, on this, too. She has said, you know, uh, when I'm president, I'm not going to be writing love letters to dictators and authoritarians around the world. Well, 
people want, I think, a leader that will try to calm things down while being incredibly strong. There's no, there's no, you know, constituency in America going, man, I hope we get into a major war in the next couple of years. Uh, and I think more and more people realize that we're more likely to get into a major war with the kind of leadership we've got now. Uh, we are, we're already in one. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, not only is it Cold War 2.0, um, there was, uh, uh, you know, much media talk earlier uh, in the week about how Joe Biden has finally, he's now getting tough on the Houthis. He redesignated them, you know, a major... <clears throat> A major uh, uh, terror sponsor, of course, uh, one of his first acts as president was to remove the Houthis from the international terror list. But um, there's a uh, Mike uh, Wagenheim at the uh, New York Benjamin Wagenheim, New York Post, uh, great piece yesterday uh, exposing the utter and total charade of what the Biden administration's done. It was a weak designation, and these new weak sanctions aren't going to criminalize those who provide material support or resources to the Houthis. It's not going to force banks to seize their assets. Victims of Houthi savagery won't be able to sue the group for damages. Houthis can still obtain visas to travel to the U.S. At the same time, the Biden administration is restricting visas for Jews who live in, uh, Israelis who live in Judea in Samaria. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it was lying then. It's lying now. Um, and the question has to be asked, why are they doing this? Why this, this uh, 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 sanctions performance art? And I think, Gary, it gets back to the same thing. They still cling to this notion that Iran can become the regional balancer, which is why everything is around the edges. Biden has done nothing. There have been no sanctions imposed since October 7. And we know who's responsible for October 7. There has been not a single move against Iran since October 7. It's all this dancing around. Uh, and you talk about a, a way to lead a nation into war. It's by constantly responding to the to these ramped up provocations with these pinprick attacks on 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 tool sheds buried in the uh, uh, Yemeni desert. It's a, a recipe for disaster. It gets worse and worse and worse. One of these days, you've said it. I've said it. One of these days, God forbid. One of these advanced precision-guided Houthi missiles that come from Iran is going to get through, and it's going to kill some sailors. Yeah, you're, uh, that that's right, Tom. And then you know we'll we'll get in. You know, maybe we'll get a national televised address, and he'll act like he's the commander in chief, and uh, and so forth. Look, Iran is the octopus. And instead of doing with the octopus, we keep cut, trying to cut off a little piece of various tentacles. But as all biologists know, the octopus can regrow those te- 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 tentacles easily, which is. Which Were you is about to uh, reference another body part when you said I, tentacles? I, uh, I was looking at you and it did. I did that, that, that body part <laughs> did come to mind. Uh, and I caught myself in time, uh, but the point, the point is, this is, is a valid point, Tom. And I, you know, and, and we've both have talked about the fact that 
we're we're bankrolling both sides of almost every conflict in the Middle East because we allowed billions of dollars to go back to Iran uh, as soon as Biden took office. Sixteen billion dollars in sanctions relief on on in months. So that money is uh, is being sent out to all these proxies uh, that that you know our our soldiers, our navy, our allies have to contend with. By by the way, Tom, we're also uh, bankrolling both sides of uh, the southern border of the United States. <clears throat> uh, we're going bankrupt. Uh, some of these states are pressed to the wall, trying to stop this incredible influx of people illegally entering America. At the same time, the United Nations is subsidizing the people crossing our border. And who is the main uh, financier of the United the United Nations? The United States. We're responsible for a quarter, at least, of the entire budget of the United Nations. What about so, the What about the Israel Hamas war? We're spending. We're spending six hundred million dollars a year supporting UNRWA, which is a a Hamas. Uh, uh, UN-sponsored quote-unquote relief agency in Gaza that employs tens of thousands, that imposes this curriculum on death to the Jews, kill the Jews, slash the Jews' throat. At the same time, we're pressuring the Israeli government to back off, to enter into some kind of a a permanent ceasefire negotiation that would leave Hamas intact. We just renew under the radar a multi-billion dollar um, <clears throat> base agreement with Qatar to host our LED air base in that um, Iranian money laundering capital. Qatar is the, is the bar scene from Star Wars. We talked about this the other day. Every rotten, stinking terrorist actor is housed there. They're headquartered there. This, this little pipsqueak country, uh, talk about tail wagging the dog, and yet we give them billions of dollars to host this airbase. It's insanity. I mean, this is just a microcosm of our, I'd call it treachery, but treachery almost implies uh, a thought process. And we are led by such incompetence, Gary. I mean, there's something to be said for a political class that uh, has marinated their entire professional lives inside this this anti-transactional bubble. Uh, I wouldn't take them to, to buy a used car for me. You know what? They have no common sense, no practical, real world experience. That's what Donald Trump brings. I know a lot of folks say Donald Trump isn't a isn't an ideological conservative. OK, maybe not. But he's a common sense conservative or just a common sense human being. He knows how to deal with other people. He knows what's in our interest, what's not in our interest. He knows when to uh, when to hold his cards. And yes, he knows when to fold his cards. Well, yeah, one of the things that's happening, uh, Tom, is that conservatism is being redefined. And one of the things one of the, the, the things that conservatism has, in my view, unfortunately bought into over the decades. And maybe there was a time for this, particularly after World War Two, when we were, uh, you know, the 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 800 pound gorilla, not just on the block, but in the world, you know, and so we 
We rebuilt countries. We did all kinds of things. But along the way, the, the sort of libertarian impulse uh, in the Republican Party bought into this idea that goods and services should fro- flow freely over national boundaries. And it, it was an efficiency argument that uh, treated the nation state as being nothing but an economic wealth producing entity. The nation state is that when it's operating with good economic principles, but a nation state is more than that. The nation state of the United States is built on a a revolutionary idea about the nature of man, where liberty comes from, uh, about the compact that exists between our citizens, about what it is we as a country will do to protect our people. So Ronald Reagan was willing to put tariffs on foreign countries in order to protect certain American industries. And again, the economic wing, the business wing of the of the uh, Republican Party, the libertarian wing, were furious that he did that. The, the result of all that was whether it was globalist Democrats or free market Republicans over many, many years, we gutted our own working class base. So that, as we painfully found out during COVID, we couldn't even count on the medications we were taking being right. available to us. They Can I be made in factories by our most major, right. powerful, dangerous adversary? What what could go wrong with that? You know. Can I push back sure. ever so gently? You, not, you may. not toward the end of your comments, which I agree with, but the beginning. Uh, This was a Pax Americana. It came in the wake of the Second World War when the industrial capacity of the West had been utterly obliterated. We created, and had we maintained it, it would have been great, a system for the first time in the history of the world where the seas were protected by the American Navy for free commerce between peoples and nations and states it was designed to get the west back on its feet remember europe was destroyed and asia was not the asia of today asia was um uh uh, pestilence and famine and civil war and 14 million chinese killed by the japanese during the occupation a penniless china japan incinerated, turned into what Donald Trump would call liquid glass. It was an incredibly magnanimous and self-interested policy that was supported on a bipartisan basis. The problem was the garden wasn't tended, and it became as uh, uh, Europe Reemerged. Germany reemerged as an industrial powerhouse, a uh, uh, high-end manufacturing company country. NATO, which was designed to be a military alliance, initially was, let's face it, Gary, an American protectorate. We just extended our umbrella over Europe. But now that Europe is as rich as we are, as capable as we are, uh, and the alliance has remained a protectorate, I will say remained a protectorate until about 2017, when something interesting might have happened in Washington. Um, And by the way, 
if you think of Trump's foreign policy credits, uh, the one that he's most criticized for is the one he was most successful at reversing. There were only two countries when we came into office that were meeting the self-proclaimed uh, defense expenditure goals of NATO, which is a 2% of your GDP going to defense. Today, it's over 10. So he's quintupled the number of countries that are now meeting their commitments. The only two countries before were Britain and Poland. And now it's a whole range of companies, uh, countries, even the French, even the Italians. So in the yeah. ultimate irony, and then I'll shut up here. The one yeah. country... Promises, promises. The one country that benefited by far in a way more than any other from this Pax Americana, from our protection of global sea lanes, allowing everybody to trade. The one country that benefited more than any other was Communist China, the People's Republic of China. Yeah. See, this is why we do a show together. I mean, now, folks. Why? So you no. can you can one up me on every one of my lines? No, no, oh. I would never do that. <laughs> so, Tom, the uh, as you point out correctly, the if we look at NATO as a club, uh, a, a group of people that have a shared interest, and they all belong to this club, uh, Donald Trump came into office and noticed that uh, some fairly significant members of the club were not paying their dues. <laughs> And when he demanded they paid their dues, he was accused of wanting to destroy the club. Making members of a club pay their dues is called making the club stronger, making it more viable. The whole argument that was made against him, including by important people on our side of the ideological divide, was a stupid argument that a lot of people uh, – Fell far, unfortunately. You know, there, there's, there's an anecdote. I probably have shared this with you in the past. My synagogue that I was a member of and a board member of for 30 years in Indianapolis. Um, and when our Christian friends would come, they would think it's unbelievably ghost. Had a big billboard, you know, one of those boards. As you walk in, there's the social hall. And the board um, listed all the members who were in arrears. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Tom Rose owes 65, hasn't, you know, unpaid 65. And guess what? People paid their bills. That's all Donald Trump was doing. He was putting out a board saying that Germany, the richest country, 40% of the EU's productive capacity comes from Germany, and they're spending less than 1%. The German Navy can't float. The German Air Force can't fly. The German they have a, a smaller standing army today than they had when the country was divided in two. If you when the country was divided in two, when you looked at the standing army East Germany and West Germany had, it was several times larger than the standing army they have now. And the thing is, people would walk in. It was called the delay. It's still there. It was called the delinquent board. Everybody, as they walk in, looks to see whose name is on it. Right. I'm going to start uh, posting on our website, the Bauer website, how many minutes you owe me at the end of each episode <laughs> because of my your, stupid your anecdotes. Thing, yes. Anyway, so, uh, you know, it I, worked. I always, oh, I'm, I'll end up by saying this. It worked. I'm, I'm sure it did. And there, there's probably a lesson here for all kinds of other entities. 
I, you know, I worry sometimes that because our points are so brilliant and so deep, Tom, that we're, we're, our audience peels off, you know, um, I don't know, but you know, maybe, maybe word spreads and more and more people come on. I just want to point out that that world you described after World War II. I mean, I, I mentioned that that's the reason that a lot of this happened was what the world looked like then. And so the free flow of money across borders and so forth was to our advantage and our desire to rebuild these economies was to our advantage because those economies would consume our products and all the rest of that. But the fly in the ointment was that the defense wing of the Republican party understandably and, and thank God they did it pushed for higher and higher military expenditures the the um, socialist wing of the Democrat Party pushed for more and more social spending. And we are now in a fiscal situation that threatens to lay us low. Uh, and it's it's we're in a, it's a dangerous moment. Then you put on top of that that the European countries decided, well, we can't do both. So as you point out, they'll, they subcontracted for to us to take care of their defense needs while they happily march down the road to uh, big government socialism. There was a, a, a meeting early in the Trump administration down at Mar-a-Lago where the president <clears throat> had just golfed with his, his dear friend, uh, unfortunately, sub- subsequently assassinated uh, uh, Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe, 18 holes down at Mar-a-Lago, state dinner at night, and you know how this works. Before the state dinner, there is the bilat, the official meeting of principal and principal uh, accompanied by a certain number of aides. And these meetings... They're boring as hell. Okay. They just, it's all scripted. They have their notes and everybody takes notes and they uh, go down the, the protocol list of pleasantries and they're boring. Not with Donald Trump. They're not boring. <laughs> Donald Trump started this meeting with Shinzo Abe saying, and, and they're good friends, by the way, Shinzo, you're killing us on cars. That's how we started it. You're killing us on cars. We got to do something. I mean, all those bureaucrats should have leapt to their feet and started applauding that there was a plain talker representing the United States. Telling the truth. Yes. Yes. Well, Tom, uh, this time goes so fast. We have a little bit more time, but we've alluded to it several times without delving into it any more deeply. But I just want to remind our audience what's happening right now in Texas. Now, maybe it's going to be changed by the time you hear this show. But uh, Governor Abbott did what I've been urging and others have been urging him and other Republican governors to do for several years, actually. Secure the border yourself and, and put the ball in Biden's court about whether he's going to send the army to Texas to fire on the Texans securing the border, a job that the federal government ought to be doing. Well, Texas, in a very small way, is doing that in one portion along the uh, the border. Um, Biden's gone to the Supreme Court, and much to my dismay, 
uh, two Republicans bailed out and went with the liberals and the court uh, decided five to four that uh, the barriers, including the barbed wire uh, that had been put up along this section of the the border, had to be taken down uh, until the case has been decided. Well, to me, that's a hint about what the court may do, which is decided the wrong way. And it was and it was Roberts and uh, and Barrett, right? Right. Uh, The governor was then immediately given a deadline by Biden, which is the deadline is tomorrow. Get your stuff out of there now. Texas actually started laying more wire yesterday. And uh, they are arresting illegal aliens as they cross at that point, and they're putting them in jail. Um, Biden has warned him again. Um, now, look, Biden routinely violates, ignores Supreme Court decisions he doesn't like. Right. And the of course, Trump was always accused of being the uh, the right. autocrat. The, the, the Supreme Court told him he has no power to unilaterally forgive student debt. He continues to forgive student debt. Um, now, a number of Republican governors have said publicly, I stand with the governor of Texas. Um, the, the Speaker of the House said this, the governor of Texas is absolutely right. We're going to move forward and impeach the head of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I believe that if Democrat congressmen, as we're doing this show, Tom, are demanding that Biden nationalize the Texas uh, guard. Uh, there are reports, I have not confirmed them yet, that a truck convoy is forming in Southern California to pick up as many people, trucks, vans as they can to get to the border as quickly as possible to stand with the governor of Texas. Tucker Carlson is asking publicly, where are the men of America? Why are you not down there defending our border? Because the president will not do it. Uh, the Biden said um, a couple of days ago, Tom, I don't know if this is linked or not. He said, uh, you know, I keep hearing about these Americans and want to keep their guns uh, because uh, it's a safeguard against uh, a federal government telling them what to do. Well, let me tell you, he said, you'll need F-16s to defeat the federal government. Biden, he does this about every three months and the media doesn't say a word. He's threatening to bomb recalcitrant uh, Americans that that don't want to go along with his orders. You know, I don't know. Are we headed for a showdown at the border? This this uh, you hate when I say this, which is part of the reason I like to say it. The table is set if we play it right. For a huge victory, a lands a Reagan esque landslide victory, because these are seventy five twenty five issues. You have leading Democrats, the progressive John Fetterman from Pennsylvania, who has basically single handedly bipartisanized the border issue. All the Democrat Texas Congress people from near the border are demanding. Uh, a crackdown. The mayor of New York, the super left wing Eric Adams, demanding uh, uh, immediate assistance. It's a national emergency, a city emergency. The super left wing mayor of Chicago, whose name I can't remember, 
um, uh, uh, demanding that the city, the federal government reimburse the city for funds it's going to need to kick them out. I mean, they're sleeping by the hundreds at O'Hare Airport. They're they're kicking kids. Austin Airport, uh, LaGuardia. It's happening all over the country. I I just look at you know how they call out the um, uh, different classes that can go under the plane at a particular (laughs) time. Uh, Somebody the other day who was in line, Dave Rubin, Dave Rubin, yeah, showed the form he had to fill out, and then the form that was being given to uh, illegals uh, that basically said, if you're an illegal, uh, just be sure you inform uh, TSA that you're not required uh, to do anything other than just walk through unimpeded to get on the plane. I was at I was at LaGuardia yesterday, as a matter of fact, and in the TSA line, there's, you know, TSA, the regular fee folks and TSA pre. Uh, and yeah. by the way, those lines are usually longer <laughs> than the, than the regular this clear thing now. And the clear thing is getting longer. <sighs> and, uh, you know, it's just it's like a it's a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. You keep looking for the short line. Right? Anyway, it says if you're a migrant without I.D., they have there's a line and um, photo requested, not obligated. Right. But I don't have the obligation. And there's a voter registration form for whenever you become a citizen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, but it's probably true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking um, of anyway, uh, it, this is an incredible yeah. moment. And meanwhile, reports continue to come out that a bunch of uh, uh, Republican senators uh, with Mitch McConnell and others that ought to know better are busy trying to come up with a deal that will completely neutralize the issue for the November election. Well, I'm I'm as we end this broadcast or podcast broadcast and podcast. I want to do what you didn't do, and that is wish my number one son, Noam Rose, a happy 30th birthday. Uh, that's fantastic. And happy uh, birthday. They, amen. And amen to that. And maybe, well, do you really think he's going to sit through 54 minutes of the Bower and Rose podcast to hear a happy hey, birthday? Show? Yeah, exactly. Talked about Will exactly. the final exam. He's a, he's a fine, fine young man, very accomplished and a wonderful father. And happy birthday. And call me sometime. You know, you can pick up the phone and call. Or now, are you talking to me now? No. No, your son. Yes. 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 <laughs> I, have a, well, that's that's good advice to every son and every daughter. Call Tom. That's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have a great weekend. God bless you. God bless Bauer. God bless all of our listeners. God, God bless, bless the United States of America. Amen. And the men and women who protect us. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>